Welcome back to our study of the Trinity. In our last session, we looked at an ancient false teaching called Arianism that is still around in some form today. And we noted that one of the main features of the false teaching of Arius was this idea that there was a time when the sun was not. That was one of Arius's infamous phrases, that the Son of God was not eternal, but that there was a time when the sun did not exist. Of course, that's contrary to what we saw earlier about eternal generation, that the sun has eternally existed. He is sun, yes, but not sun in the exact same way that you or I might be a sun, uh, because the Son of God had no beginning, but He is eternal. Today, we're going to look in this session at how the church responded to the false teaching of Arius. We're going to look at why it was such a big deal that Arius said this, why we should be bothered about it, why the church should have been bothered about it, and the church was bothered about it and responded to it, and we're going to see how the church responded to it at something called the Council of Nicaea. So first, why was Arius's teaching about the sun such a big deal? Why should we care? Why should you and I care if somebody says something like this about Jesus? Now, the reason we should care is because of what we see in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. It's just one place where the New Testament talks about the reality of false teaching and how serious and dangerous false teaching is. And in this instance, it's John is dealing specifically with false teaching about Jesus, about who he is. And this is what the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 1-3. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So John is warning his readers and warning us right, that there are people who say things about Jesus that demonstrate that they're actually not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. They're not talking about the real Jesus, the real Son of God. They're using the name Jesus. They're talking about a Jesus, but the Jesus they talk about is not the real Jesus, not the Jesus who uh, walked and talked with the apostles, not the Jesus who died on the cross and rose. Notice what he says. He says, this is how you know the difference between um, a false teacher and a faithful teacher. This is how you know the difference between a false prophet right, and a faithful prophet. Here's how you know, he said, every spirit, so these people are speaking by some spirit, is it the Holy Spirit or some other spirit, right? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So John is saying, look, the people who say, yes, Jesus came in the flesh. He had a real 
physical body. He had a he was really a human being. He didn't just appear to be human, but he really truly was human. The people who confess that about Jesus, they are speaking by the Holy Spirit, right? But he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And there he means those who are not confessing this Jesus, the Jesus who came in the flesh. Obviously, if they weren't talking about Jesus at all, if they were talking about somebody else or something else, then there would be no confusion. But when he says, uh, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, we know because he's just said every spirit that confesses that Jesus came in the flesh. We know when he says everyone who doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. He's talking about people who don't confess that Jesus. They're confessing a different Jesus, specifically in John's case, a Jesus who did not come in the flesh. And this is why John begins this letter, 1 John, by saying, we saw, heard, touched Jesus. Right? He was really here. He had a physical body. He didn't just appear to be human. He didn't just seem to be human. But he was really, truly human. Had a human physical body. So in John's day, the problem that Christians were encountering was false teachers who denied that Jesus truly came in the flesh. But the principle here extends beyond people who would just deny that Jesus came in the flesh. It extends to all those who would deny any central, essential, biblical truth about Jesus. Right? So anyone who would deny that Jesus has always existed, right? that the Son of God has always existed. Now, obviously, he took on human flesh at a particular point in time. That's not what we're talking about. Right? He was not always incarnate. He did not always have a human body, a human nature. Right? But the Son of God always existed even before he added to himself humanity. He's always been divine. And as the divine Son of God, He is eternal and has always existed. Anybody who denied that would likewise fall under John's uh, condemnation here, as it were. They would be false prophets, false teachers. Right? So John is addressing specifically the false teaching of Jesus not really having a physical body, not really having a true human nature. But the principle, again, applies to anybody who's not preaching the same Jesus that the apostles preached. That's the point. So the question is, did Arius teach the same Jesus that the apostles taught? Was the Son of God that Arius was describing the same Son of God that we are taught in the Bible. Now, the, this was such a big deal, such a big controversy, that uh, a church council was called by the Emperor Constantine, um, and in 325, they met in a city called Nicaea, and that's why this is called the Nicene Council, and church leaders came together, I believe over 300 came together uh, from different parts of the empire, both from east and from west, to determine 
the answer to this question. Right? And uh, we now call this the first ecumenical council. And what that means is this is a council that represents or speaks for the whole church. It was not just one segment of the church, right? not just not just Christians in, in Germany or in England or in America or in Africa or something that made this decision. This, this represents, represented the whole church. Right? So they came together and here's what they said. This is what we call the Nicene Creed. And this is what it says. It says, we believe in one God, the Father, all sovereign, maker of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, only begotten, that is, of the substance of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, things in heaven and things on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was made flesh and became man, suffered and rose on the third day, ascended into the heavens, is coming to judge the living and the dead, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. Then with this creed came these condemnations. They said, and those that say, there was when he was not. You recognize Arius's phrasing there. Those that say there was when he was not, and before he was begotten he was not, and that he came into being from what is not, or those that allege that the Son of God is of another substance or essence, or created, or changeable, or alterable, these, the Catholic and Apostolic churches, church, excuse me, anathematizes. In other words, condemns. They, they fall under the curse of God. Now, here's what we need to notice that the Nicene Creed affirms. First of all, it affirms monotheism. Remember, monotheism is the belief in uh, one God, the worship of one God. And that's where it begins. We believe in one God, the Father, all sovereign, maker of all things visible and invisible. Right? So it affirms monotheism, one God. It also affirms belief in the one Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the biggest section of the creed, the most significant section of the creed. And they have a lot to say about Jesus because they want to be really clear what they are saying and what they're not saying, what the church does believe and what the church denies. And so they say specifically that he is begotten, not made. In other words, when they say the son is begotten, they don't mean, we don't mean that he was created, right? They say that he's begotten of the father, He's only begotten. They say he's of the substance of the Father, the same essence, in other words. He's of the same stuff, so to speak, of the Father. They have the same nature. They're both completely, truly, fully divine, right? And that's why they say that he is God of God, light of light, true God of true God. He's not a merely a creation of the true God. He himself is true God of true God, meaning he's in a sense from the true God. He's begotten of the Father, but he's not different in essence, in substance from the Father. He is likewise totally, truly divine. He is God of God. 
He is true God of true God. Right? Again, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, things in heaven and things on earth. And then they go on to say, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was made flesh. Right? And as we said last time, this is part of why this is so significant to get this right. Not only because we want to be worshiping the right Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the real Jesus, the real Son of God, but also because who Jesus is is directly tied to our salvation. Could Jesus be the Savior that we need Him to be if He was not fully and truly divine as well as being truly human? No, He couldn't. It is this Son of God, this Lord Jesus Christ, who is God of God and light of light and true God of true God, who for us men and for our salvation came down and took on flesh. All right, so the identity of the Son of God and the good news of the gospel are inseparable. Right? They're both so significant. Um, notice also that they condemn those who say the Son had a beginning or is of a different substance or essence from the Father. That's not the Jesus the apostles were talking about. That's not the Son that John proclaims in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Part of what they're saying um, in their response to Arius um, is essentially saying that what Arius is saying about the Son does not fit with what John says about the Son. It doesn't match John 1, 1, right? Um, and that's part of what they mean when they say at the end there um, that this is a statement of the Catholic and Apostolic Church. Now, don't let the word Catholic trip you up because the word Catholic means universal, right? And so when we hear the word Catholic, we often think Roman Catholic Church. Um, but the word Catholic... Right, just means the universal church, the whole church. So when they say this is the, what the, um, uh, the this these the Catholic and Apostolic Church anathematizes, they mean the whole church says that these things that Arius and perhaps others are teaching are not true to the Scriptures. They are worthy to be condemned. They are false teaching about Jesus. The whole church says that, and they say not only the Catholic Church, but they also call it the Apostolic Church. Meaning, this is the church that gets its teaching from the apostles, from the authorized spokesmen of Jesus who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament scriptures. What we believe, what we all believe, Catholic Church, Universal Church, all Christians, what we all believe and what we got from the apostles, because we're part of the apostolic church, we're drawing our teaching from the apostles, is that what Arius says neither belongs to the Catholic Church nor to the Apostolic Church. Well, the same church, but neither the Catholic and Apostolic Church. It's not, that's not the universal teaching of the church, and that's not the teaching of the apostles. That's not what Christians believe. That's not what we profess. Arius has, um, he has swerved from the teaching of the apostles and from the confession of the whole Christian church. He has swerved into error, and his teaching is to be condemned. Now, one more thing for us to say about this and think about this. Is this Nicene Creed, right? Is this adding to the Bible? 
right? Why do we need something like the Nicene Creed? Why don't we just say what the Bible says? And the answer to that is because people on both sides were using the Bible. Arius didn't uh, you know, teach his uh, doctrine about there was a time when the sun was not. He wasn't claiming to teach that from some other religious book or some other uh, religious source as though he didn't care about the Bible. He was claiming to be saying what the Bible says too. The question was, which one, those on Arius' side or those on the other side, which one was faithfully understanding and teaching what the Bible says? Because here's the thing, and this is, this is important to know and to remember. A person can use Bible language to say things contrary to what the Bible says. Right? People can use the name Jesus, for example, from the Bible, to talk about someone who is not the same as the Jesus of the Bible. Right? People can use the phrase son of God or son of man to teach something about the Son of God and Son of Man that makes it clear they're not talking about the Son of God and Son of Man from the Bible. But if somebody, for example, could say, I believe in the Son of God. I believe in the Son of Man. I believe in someone who is half God and half man. He's Son of God and Son of Man. Well, they're using Bible language when they say Son of God and Son of Man, but they're clearly not saying what the Bible says because the Bible nowhere says that Jesus or anybody else is half God and half man. So people can use biblical language to say things that are unbiblical. And that's why we have creeds and confessions like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Um, those of us who are Southern Baptists, we have the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Uh, we have those confessions of faith to say to the world and to remind ourselves and to help us uh, train up others and teach and disciple others to say, this is what we believe to be the true and faithful teaching of the scriptures. These creeds don't replace scripture. They don't have the same authority as scripture, but they are a way of summarizing what we believe the Bible says so that when people come along using biblical language to say unbiblical things, we can say, you're, you can quote the Bible all day long, but what you're saying is not what we believe that the Bible teaches. That's what creeds, confessions are for, is a way of saying, summarizing what the Bible says as faithfully as we can. Now, we have done a pretty deep dive into uh, what it means for the Son of God to be eternal and to be the second person of the Trinity. Right. Um, now we're going to back up in our next session, Lord willing, we're going to back up and we're going to now talk about the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the Father, and we've talked about the Son at quite a bit of length, but now we need to go back and talk about the Holy Spirit. How do we know that the Holy Spirit is God? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is a person and not just a force? Right. We'll begin talking uh, more about the Holy Spirit Lord willing, in our next session. Until then, God bless.